0: We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations.
1: You're listening to the ERLC podcast.
0: Well, did we start at the exact new year? This is stupid. Let me start again.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is
0: already (laughs) off the rails. It's... it's. I already know what the funny...
1: (laughs) I just don't even... Where was that going?
0: (laughs) I don't know. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC Podcast where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and with me is my faithful co-host, Brent Leatherwood.
1: It's a pleasure to be back in the studio again with you, Lindsay.
0: What everyone should know is that this is our 50th take, maybe. We're having trouble relating to one another on the podcast, (laughs) I guess. I think this morning, our audio producer uh, was so kind and offered to bring us coffee and you passed him up because you have a Starbucks addiction, but he brought me a Cuban coffee.
1: Well, but he brought me, no, he brought the one that I personally recommended because had he sent in his offer, his gracious offer to provide us with coffee about 30 minutes prior, I absolutely would have said, yeah, please, because I love their Cuban coffee at this coffee shop, The Well. Here in, in Nashville.
0: Yeah. So I took your suggestion yes. and got a Cuban. I think, though, it's providing a lot of caffeine that a is lot of caffeine. causing it is so my good. cylinders to I usually misfire. drink two of those, though. Oh, my word. I don't know how. Yes. I'm feeling a little shaky, and my my cylinders are misfiring. So who knows what this uh this podcast is going to be like this morning. But we're off to a rocky start. <laughs> it is.
1: Yeah. Well, no, it's a good start. It's a Cuban coffee-fueled start.
0: Right. I don't know how you drink two of these. I be, Here we I go. wired, yes. <laughs> so let's go ahead and start talking about what the ERLC is featuring this week. And I want to start off with a piece by Jason Thacker, who, as you know, we've talked about uh, his work many, many, many times over the course of this podcast. And he especially helps us in the areas of uh, technological ethics or digital ethics, And this article is two ways to make digital activism better. Real world relationships bring about change. And the gist of this article is that, yes, social media is good for many things and social media activism can be good. And the example I think about is our friend and SBC pastor Griffin Gulledge and how he tweeted out something that brought to light an atrocity happening in China. And that is the persecution of the Uyghur people group. And it really, the Lord used it and it went viral and it has really started some important activism on behalf of the rights of the Uyghur people. However, that activism doesn't always work in that way. And what Jason is saying is that real change needs to happen by us getting face-to-face in our communities and making a difference there, building relationships. And that will often move the ball forward in lasting Change that we want to see.
1: Right, Lindsay, to put it another way, real world connections, uh, those lead to real world change. And it underscores this point in this moment where we are just continually online, whether it's on our laptops, on our, our phones, you know, just staring at these avatars that come across our screen. Like, right, it just leads us to this place where we kind of forget that people are actually embodied <laughs> and uh and we need real world connection not not only just to make a difference uh but i would suggest to actually like thrive as humans who are created in god's image because when you when you flatten that reality via a screen it leads you to not only unhealthy relationships but it just it leads you to it leads you to a place where you forget that even even maybe those you disagree with are just as just as much made in the image of God as 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 we are. And so, um, yeah, it's important to have those connections. It's important to get out there. And you know, you and I were talking off mic. Like, if you really want to make a difference, like, in, instead of tweeting harder about something, uh, instead get involved where it really matters. I mean, we in the context that we're in this month, uh, and especially next week with the annual March for Life coming up, right? Getting involved and volunteering at a a local pregnancy care center, it's a great way to actually make a difference. Uh, And it will do immeasurably more good than simply tweeting something. That actually will make a difference in the lives uh, of an individual or individuals. And that's, that's where our real focus needs to be.
0: Well, it's not wrong to want to see change, and it's not wrong to want it fast. But of course, we live in a microwave world where everything happens, seems to happen fast. But oftentimes, real change happens slowly, and it's just through the faithful prodding work of individuals. And I've just started my Bible reading for the year. I'm listening to it and trying to follow along. But anyway, I'm in Genesis, and I'm just reminded how the Lord's work is often— slow. Abraham waited, and Sarah waited for a long time for the promised heir to be born, Isaac. And then you just continue to see how the Lord works, but it looks fast to us because we have the privilege of being able to read it in a setting. Uh, But it just takes a long time of trusting the Lord and uh, faithfully plodding along in prayer and in the power of the Spirit. And so I appreciate the motivation behind this article that yes, we can use technology for good, but ultimately we need to bring uh, those relationships and the change that we're trying to affect into our real lives and start there. And then the final article that I wanted to highlight in light of us really focusing on the issue of the sanctity of human life and the pro-life movement this month with Sanctity of Human Life Sunday throughout SBC Churches happening on January 22nd. As Brent mentioned, the March for Life happening next week. This article is by Caitlin Walls Shelton, and it comes from our latest issue of Light magazine that we talked about and linked to last week. But it's titled, Abortion is Not Healthcare, The Historical and Biblical Understanding of a Doctor's Obligation. So before the Dobbs ruling came down, there was a lot of chatter about how abortion is healthcare— About how pregnancy resource centers have false advertising and they are not healthcare. And the reality is, a Planned Parenthood or another center where you could go to receive an abortion, by definition, cannot be healthcare because healthcare, in the truest sense, involves aiding life and helping life to flourish. But an abortion is taking away a life, ending a life, snuffing that life out before it even really gets a chance to develop. And then that abortion oftentimes has negative effects on the woman who goes through that abortion, whether that be physically or mentally or emotionally. So, Caitlin Shelton walks through these things, walks through the historical and biblical understanding of what healthcare professionals are called to, and just shows how, no, abortion is not healthcare, regardless of what anyone is trying to tell us. So I appreciate her article, how thorough she is here, and how she helps equip us to answer these ridiculous claims that are thrown out there on the interwebs, and enables us to answer them intelligently.
1: Well, Lindsay, that's a perfect segue into what I mentioned before, this, this wider moment that we're in, uh, with next week being March for Life. And, and we'll we'll touch on that. But one of the things that you brought up as you were describing Caitlin's piece, that's very similar to actually something we touched on last week with the FDA decision for the increased accessibility of the abortion pills that are now uh going to be well soon will be available at local pharmacies it's this this twisting of whether it's the definition of healthcare or the kind of what you uh, normally would think of with the pharmacy right pharmacies you think that's where i go to get medicine that will help me get better uh will will help my 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 life be uh, sustained and and we're talking about abortion pills that will be available that will take life like that that just seems counterintuitive for what you would go to a pharmacy for and and even more broadly just like you were pointing out healthcare healthcare is meant to care for someone uh, nurse them back to wellness to save life and and here we're talking about abortion which by definition ends a life and and so uh, we just need to be attuned to the ways that the abortion industry kind of twists the meaning of of certain words or certain services uh, that that are out there, and that's especially appropriate in uh, this time that we're in, which is the lead up, you know, on the Baptist calendar to um, Sanctity of, of Human Life Sunday, which is on January twenty second this year, and that's a that's a purposeful Sunday that is is chosen each year because prior to now. Uh, that has coincided with when the Roe versus Wade uh, decision was handed down by the Supreme Court, enshrining abortion uh, as, as this right across the land. And, you know, estimates show 60 million lives have been lost because of that, that disastrous uh, Supreme Court opinion. And uh, with last summer, uh, we saw the historic Dobbs decision come and, and overrule, praise the Lord. Uh, overrule that decision. And uh, the effect of it, though, has been uh, the discussion about abortion, the deliberations about abortion policy. That's now happening at the state level and in uh, local municipalities around the country. And so this week, we had just another reminder of that. Actually, it was the very tail end of last week. The state Supreme Court down in South Carolina Uh, they struck down a six-week abortion ban uh, that had been proposed and signed into law uh, by by legislators and the governor in that state. And so this first story comes to us about this from the Washington Post. Just want to read a little bit about it. The South Carolina Supreme Court struck down the state's six-week abortion ban on Thursday, ruling that the law that restricted abortions after a detectable fetal cardiac activity is an unreasonable restriction upon a woman's right to privacy and therefore is unconstitutional. The three to two decision means abortion in South Carolina is now legal until around 20 weeks of pregnancy. The ruling comes nearly two years after the state enacted the law known as the Fetal Heartbeat and Protection from Abortion Act, which banned abortion after six weeks, except in limited cases like pregnancies that would endanger the pregnant person's life, pregnant woman's life is what we would say, uh, or that uh, were the result of rape or incest. So, Uh, why do we bring this up? Uh, So uh, this is uh, just more evidence of how in the post-Roe era that we're in, through the Dobbs decision, which is giving uh, states more freedom to to regulate abortion policy, how it's playing out. And it's going to play out in some states, probably the way that we assume, like right here in Tennessee right now, abortion is effectively outlawed. And in states like California or Illinois that that see themselves uh, as abortion destinations, they're going to be going in the opposite direction. But that's not to say, uh, for those of us who care about this issue and want to see every single life protected, that there's not going to be little uh, challenges or or kind of hiccups to what we would assume is going to play out. And that's that's what we're seeing here in South Carolina. At the end of the day, I am sure. Uh, then leaders in South Carolina, they're the legislative leaders. Uh, they're going to respond to the Supreme Court decision, uh, and and they're going to figure out a way to restrict abortion, similar to the fashion that that this law was. And they're probably going to, I would imagine, look at something like we did here in Tennessee initially, as we started our pro life advocacy, which kind of became uh, a model uh, for other states, uh, which is to say they would probably craft something I would imagine that says something along the lines of there is no inherent constitutional right to an abortion and start working its way around what the court has has decided here. Plus, let's also understand that the Supreme Court, the makeup actually in the the court in South Carolina is, is changing. Uh, so it's very possible that the court becomes more conservative. And so that all that to say, uh, this likely is not the last say in South Carolina, and uh, but we need to be as as Christians who care about preborn life, as folks who want to see uh, the, these vulnerable mothers that are targeted uh, by the abortion industry, as 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 folks who care about the family. Uh, we need to be attuned to these uh, sorts of challenges, and and continue to. Advocate for life, why it matters that our state leaders uh, should, should enshrine and, and, and establish a true culture of life in our state laws. And then continue to nationally uh, go before our nation's leaders and say that every uh, single life that is conceived have, has a measurable worth and value and that we should have laws that reflect that. Uh, that that's why it's important for us to pay attention to, to developments just like this.
0: Well, it helps to hear your commentary about it as someone who understands how some of these political moves work and how winds shift and change and redirect. Because with the striking down of this abortion law, it could seem like, okay, South Carolina is making a turn for the worse. It could be discouraging. It could be easy to wring your hands over. But as you're explaining, it's kind of a blip on the radar right now, and you seem to be hopeful that it will... Yeah,
1: and I don't, I, I shouldn't characterize it if I left the the impression that I was saying it's a blip. I, I don't mean, I mean, look, it, this is going to have very real consequences in, in until this kind of gets settled, whether it gets appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court or, or the legislature takes some sort of action or respond to it. There's a very high likelihood that there will be lives lost, pre-born lives lost. And so I don't want to diminish that reality. And that is a tragic reality for our folks and friends and and citizens of South Carolina who are trying to navigate this so I, I don't don't mean to diminish it like that what I'm trying to say instead though is that longer term uh, with a longer view my I'm optimistic they're going to solve this this uh, this challenge that's been created now by this the Supreme Court decision
0: that's a good and helpful clarification. And we can certainly uh, be praying that way and hoping that way and working toward that.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm almost positive uh, that our friends at the South Carolina Baptist Convention, uh, which one of our trustees, Dr. Tony Beam, is uh, one of their, their legislative liaisons uh, for the state capitol. I'm almost positive they're probably already hard at work trying to craft a solution and be a helpful voice as legislators think through this, uh, this challenge. So, yeah, that's good. And just like I mentioned, the South Carolina Baptists uh, very likely providing and almost certainly will provide a helpful voice in those deliberations about life. That's part of, of what we do uh, here at the RLC, And it is also a function of a brand new organization uh, that has, has more or less been been birthed out of uh, the ERLC and and that's uh, this new organization known as Stand for Life, which I'm, I'm sure listeners here uh, have heard us talk about our our Stand for Life initiative. And this month, it formally uh, became its own independent pro life organization, which we are we want to uh, celebrate this moment. And Baptist Press has a story that that looks at the launch of of Stand for Life. So I'll read a little bit here. A new organization that grew out of an alliance of more than 100 pro-life groups has launched with a Southern Baptist entity providing a vital contribution. Stand for Life became a separate organization at the start of 2023 with the purpose of uniting the pro-life movement to establish a culture that affirms every human being, including the pre-born child, is made in the image of God. It also seeks to strengthen support for women who experience unexpected pregnancies. The new organization will hold a private meeting of pro life organizations next week in Washington, D.C., and a change from its original plan to host a national conference on those dates. The Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission provided leadership as well as logistical and financial support for the collection of pro life groups in the early years before Stand for Life's transition to an independent organization. With the change, Elizabeth Graham, previously the RLC's vice president of operations and life initiatives, has become Stanford Life's chief executive officers. Others who formerly worked in support of Stanford Life as your LC staff members have also moved to the new organization. And uh, we'll we'll link to the story so that you can read more. But uh, you know, in my my comments to Baptist Press about this, I, I touched on the fact that this was an idea uh, that was you know conceived of several years ago uh under uh Russell Moore's leadership and specifically our our former executive vice president Philip Beth and Gord. It, and it's just, I don't think even then when when we kind of talked about it as a team, any of us could have imagined it actually becoming its own independent, self-sustaining uh organization. Uh we we kind of thought this as kind of like an initiative that, you know, was a great idea but the fact that it's now gotten to this point is just incredible. And the point I make in, in my remarks, it's a testament, particularly to the leadership of Elizabeth. You know, folks who who may know her, uh, who listen to the podcast, they will know she is a committed, passionate uh, advocate for the dignity of preborn children and their mothers and their families. And just her, her incredible skill set. Uh that she has i think is is uniquely suited for stand for life becoming its own independent organization and uh so we're just we're thrilled uh at this move i mean essentially uh, essentially a a permanent pro life partner uh for the r l c has has been created, and that's that's great. We need more voices uh, on the pro life front, and so you know the way I look at it is we here at this commission, we're going to continue uh, the pro-life advocacy that our churches uh, expect from us, continue to be that front-running voice, if you will, um, for life. And now we've got uh, this great new partner uh, that's going to be there right alongside us, uh, That that's kind of uh, stamped with, you know, the fingerprints of the RLC, And so, uh, and it's it's more than just Elizabeth. I mean, we have several teammates uh, that that are now a part uh, of this uh, this entity. And uh, we're so grateful for all of them. and um and now they're 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 not just, you know, former colleagues. and they're not just partners, uh, but they're they're friends. and And so I, i'm I'm really excited about this moment and what it means.
0: It's definitely bittersweet because it includes people that we've worked with for many years who are. Sent out um, from us. And so that part is bittersweet. But with Elizabeth in charge, the Lord has certainly stirred up her heart as it regards life issues and has uniquely equipped her to be at the helm. And then the other individuals who are um, at that organization, they will do great, important work. I have no doubt about that. And we will definitely be cheering them on and partnering with them. But we will certainly miss them being. 100% 100% involved in ERLC. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And, you know, I think it's appropriate what you just said about them being sent. I, I kind of compare it to the way, you know, if if you're in the local church and you've got this family that's super involved and they're just, they're Johnny on the spot with whatever the church might need. And then all of a sudden, you know, the pastor recognizes them one Sunday and says, and the Jones family here, uh, they feel called to go overseas and serve on the mission field. And so we're going to send them. And it's like, oh, gosh, what a, what a loss day-to-day wise for our congregation. But what an awesome opportunity for these folks to go to another setting and continue to spread the gospel and, and to be uh, backed up by the support of our church. Well, in a way, that's what we're seeing here. And so they are, uh, in a way, being sent from the ERLC. But the good news is they're not going very far. And we're going to continue to partner with them, and so this is a this is all uh, all that more of a of a exciting opportunity because as we have mentioned now a couple times, next week is March for Life, the annual event uh, that was meant to rally and capture the nation's attention uh, during the year-to-year mark of of when the Roe decision came down, and honestly. Thankfully, we we don't have to rally uh, to overturn Roe anymore. That has been done. And instead, this is, uh, I think, an opportunity for pro-life advocates from across the country to come together and still say, the job is not yet finished. Uh, The Dobbs decision certainly represented the greatest achievement in the history of the pro-life movement. And yet, our work isn't finished. Uh, and and it just reinforces what what we have said on this podcast and elsewhere that uh, the Dobbs decision did not represent the end of the the pro life movement. It merely represented the beginning of a new chapter, and uh, and that's certainly I think the spirit uh, of what you will see next week at March for Life. And and so we've, in case you're curious, a little bit about March for Life. We've included a link to it. Uh, it is organized by uh, our friends uh, over on the, the Catholic side of the the pro life community, uh, but we're certainly uh, certainly uh, supportive of the aims. So again, capture the attention of folks and stand for life. Uh, as it's launched as its own independent organization, you know it's been driving towards hosting an event that coincides uh, with March Fly. So they're they're still continuing to do that. the The focus has been modified uh, slightly from the original plan. But it's still going to provide incredible content that we actually will utilize ELC and provide for our churches. Uh, there's a new curriculum uh, that that's coming that our churches will be able to use. That will be really kind of centered there at at this event for folks, and just all the incredible connections. I mean, that's that is the thing I I think is is an underrated point of value uh, and and need uh, within the pro life community. Is we need to continually make sure that. These connections are, are strong, uh, and especially now that the pro-life conversation isn't centered in just one place in our nation's capital, but in fact is centered in all 50 states and in local communities. And I think that's the challenge before us uh, as, a, as a pro-life movement is how do we make sure that we are getting down into those neighborhoods and backyards and effectively spreading our pro-life message.
0: Well, and it goes full circle to the first story that you mentioned about South Carolina, the Supreme Court striking down the six-week uh, abortion ban because it the March for Life demonstrates while there was this major victory with Dobbs, the Dobbs decision, but it demonstrates that the pro-life movement still has, as I said in the latest issue of Light Magazine, a marathon of good works ahead of us because you've got to go to the 50 states are all vastly different. You've got to put in the groundwork that it takes and the long, you've got to take the long view, like you have mentioned, to be able to get this work done and ultimately see abortion illegal in every single state. That's what we would desire. And until that's the case, to eliminate as many abortions as possible. In addition to the work that we have to do to see the abortion pill eradicated and abortion tourism done away with. So there's a lot of work to be done. It's not time to stop marching yet or to stop standing because we've got to continue to be a voice for these vulnerable children and their vulnerable parents. Now, Brent, as we wrap up, since you're going to be in D.C. next week, and D.C. is a place that you love and have many good memories about, what are some some of your must-see places when you are in D.C. and you're going to be there next week?
1: Well, this will actually be the first time uh, that I've been back to the Capitol when the Capitol is completely open again, you know, so over the last year and a half, well, prior to that, especially with COVID, uh, but continuing even after that, you've had to have a specific meeting and someone, a representative from an office has to come get you to bring you up to the meeting. And you haven't been able to like walk around the Capitol. And now, thankfully, those, those prohibitions, they have ended. And and so um so I'm just looking forward to what does the capital feel like without those sorts of of restrictions?
0: Do you walk around humming patriotic songs to I, yourself? I don't
1: quite do that.
0: Plain But in your I may head, do it.
1: I may do it now though. Yeah, since you suggested it. <laughs> so no, I I am looking forward to that. Uh we've got a, a number of meetings that are uh set up for for next week and um I usually try and make a visit to Old Ebbett Grill uh which is just just kind of hops, giving a jump from the White House. Probably one of my favorite places to eat. Lots okay. of fond memories there.
0: Yeah. What do you get?
1: Well, just about everything's good, but I actually always tell people to look on the dessert menu. If they have the full dessert menu back, which they have actually haven't had since COVID. So I'm hoping maybe it's back, but they have a blonde brownie sundae. Mm. That is just
0: so good. It's
1: exquisite. It's so good. Actually, when I used to work on the hill and we would go there, we actually ordered it first
0: mm-hmm.
1: before the main course. Yeah. <laughs> because it's so it's good. So good. Our, our rationale was why would you delay getting that with, you know, steak, burger, whatever? But just start with what you came there for, which was the dessert. So, yeah. That, sounds,
0: that makes me want to. Yeah, no, it's
1: really go good. Go find a good dessert so, and eat it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, fun. Well, we look forward to hearing about uh, your visit to DC and what all you experienced there withstand for life and then as a part of the march for life hopefully you won't freeze because we know how much you hate the cold and we'll see you again once you get back from our nation's capital <laughs> just a reminder you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes and if you like the podcast please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review The ERLC podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is hosted by Lindsay Nicolay and Brent Leatherwood. Technical production provided by Owens Productions. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more content.